Ajanti. And I'm Marcus Ajanti. And this is Passport Necessary, a podcast dedicated to growing up as a TCK and how it's affecting us now that we're adults. And mm-hmm. today we are on our part three of our art series. And today we are going to be talking about music. Uh, yes. So, Marcus, the rest of the recording is yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can have a conversation at least. Um, yeah. Well, it's a funny thing with music because, like, there are so many. I, I was exposed to quite a lot of different stuff as a child. So we had sort of like everything from sort of like you know um, English and European folk music, uh, French chanson. We had some stuff from sort of like Caribbean rock type stuff. Mm-hmm. They were exposed to people like Zebda from France, and then we're hearing Japanese stuff as well. Um, Iranian classical music, European classical music, jazz music, all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, you always find that there are so, there are sometimes connections and ideas that work together very well within music, from culture to culture. But people say things like, "Oh, you, music is a universal language," and I think that's just for people who don't really understand how complicated <laughs> music can be. You're not if you're used to listening to sort of stuff like um, Ed Sheeran, you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to get your head around Gagaku. There's just no way you're going to be able to do it with no exposure to Gagaku. You're not going to like it. Because it is so different, and it has so many, and the rules are very different, and the sounds are very different, mm-hmm. and the cultural heritage behind it is totally different as well. Um, so the thing is, is that I think, in my mind, music is the best and worst of art forms, because everybody listens to it, everybody sort of to an extent believes that they can do it, and I think particularly within sort of like what I'll call Western traditions there is a general sort of like folklore idea. I don't think it's like a real sort of, it's not an idea that magicians have or serious producers and stuff have. There's a folklore idea that there's somehow a magical innate thing that people can do when they play music. Mm. They think that it's somehow an innate talent and an innate ability. And there are some people who probably have more of a propensity to be able to do it than others and are better at it than others sort of early on. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the time there's really skilled musicians are actually people who have worked for years and years and years mm-hmm. musicians understand this more i think in particular traditions so like if they come from jazz or sort of maybe hard rock metal that kind of thing there is an idea of musicianship that comes along with it which is engaged with skill a lot more and also in tandem with that you have this idea that basically you should just be allowed to pick up a guitar and play what you want which is fair enough as well mm-hmm but I think it's a much more Western idea and it has filtered out to other parts of the world as well. But I mean, if you're going to be like a serious taiko drummer, you're expected to really, really practice mm-hmm. and get into it. It's it's a real process. It's almost meditative. And you do see that sort of like with Western musicians as well, where they start talking about what you're doing, it becomes a meditative thing almost. Mm-hmm. Um, the guitarist Gus McGovern in England was talking about how because he can play unbelievably well. But he says that sometimes it just comes to the point where you're where you're playing a really simple thing, like you're in a soul band or something like that. And all you really need to do is play three chords and you just need to lock in with a snare drum. Mm-hmm. And the only thing you're doing is just kind of get into this kind of like, well, he describes it as zen. It's not quite zen, but it's like this kind of meditative experience of just trying to get the notes to lock in absolutely right and get it as good as you can. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like the simplicity is fine, but then it's also that kind of, musicianship thing and i think music is interesting in that sense that it is a kind of meditative thing yeah it's there's an a balance between the practice and the mm. 
more like not robotic, but the actual, like you have to put the time into the work and you really need to practice it. And it's not very emotional. It's more like you just have to do it versus the element that is very emotion based. And especially if you're Mm -hmm. a singer, you have to bring out a lot of like raw feeling when you're singing, Mm. but you, you have to have the, quality and the training to back that up like Mm -hmm. you could be the most emotional singer in the world but if it doesn't sound good no one's gonna listen to you yeah so it's like this interesting balance between practicing and working at it and being technically good but also Mm -hmm. having that emotional attachment and more like it's an intangible thing Mm -hmm. yeah it's. I think it's the sort of thing is like you know if if you think of musical technique as like taking it back to the theatre one we did earlier, um, it might be sort of like the equivalent of somebody learning lines mm-hmm. to play, like that's the that's the tech the, the kind of technique of learning to do it and all that sort of stuff and there's other acting techniques as well but the thing is is that it's sort of like the music stuff it's been described as sort of like being something that runs in the background. So you know your technique, you know your theory, you know all that sort of stuff, and it runs in the background. Um, again, Guthrie to govern, I might mention him quite a few times in this, um, but he uh, said that um, music, when you have your music theory and your technique and stuff like that, you're not thinking about it. It's like when you have a computer screen, you don't know what's going on behind the screen that makes everything work. You just see the images that you need to see. Mm-hmm. And that he says is what the performance of music is like, that basically all the technique and stuff like that is in the back of your mind and all the theory and stuff is there. But that's the stuff you, that's running in the background. You don't see it when it's being performed mm-hmm. because it should be seamless. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And I think what's also interesting is the fact that in different cultures, there's different traditions of music and different sounds mm. and styles that you listen to it. And even if you're untrained, you can go, oh, I, I think I know where this is from. And I think mm-hmm. for me, one of the first times I really noticed that was when we moved to Japan. I mean, I had noticed it before that, but mm. it was like a very stark contrast was I noticed that a lot of Japanese music to me sounded this is me being untrained, so I didn't know what it was, but Mm. like, it sounded sad, quote unquote, like it sounded like it was a sadder sound, even though it it wasn't sad there. If you looked at the lyrics Mm. or you actually listened to the music, there was nothing about it that made it sound sad. And then I think I learned it was because a lot of Japanese music is written in the minor key. Is that correct? They do use keys that we would consider to be minor. They, they, the, um, Kimegayo, the Japanese national anthem, I think it's, that's correct, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, that one is written using what in Western tradition would be described as a Dorian scale because it fits with Japanese modes and music a bit more. They'll use sort of pentatonic scales and things like that, which don't exist in Western music in the same way until you sort of like get, you know, the influence of sort of like Far Eastern things and also African-American and sort of like people from West Africa taking those um, scales over to America and Europeans coming into contact with them. Um, European modes, I think, have existed, well, have been described since, well, probably around 500 BC, because, I mean, because Pythagoras was the first one, I think, to have described the sort of like the seven different modes of music, and so Europeans have at least seven modes, but they're all based off one scale. Mm-hmm. So each scale in U- European music, generally speaking, if you're being really strict about it, there are seven scales in European music. So you have the Ionian, which is the major scale. You have Dorian, uh, Phrygian, Lydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, which is described as the minor scale. Then you also have Locrian, 
those are the sort of like your seven scales in western music generally speaking um the thing is is that those have been locked in since the greek time so people have always run with this idea to an extent that these modes exist whereas other cultures will use different things so like in india you have ragas and tars which are different sorts of modes in japan you also have as i say like pentatonic modes and they can sound really strange to europeans and the other thing is is that also places like china and i think in japan as well you have the sort of microtonal stuff mm-hmm. so as whereas well european music has 12 notes i think chinese music can have up to 62 because they, they divide notes differently and they see those notes differently hmm. and it happens in sort of like um african music and that gets translated into african-american music and stuff like that so like in the blues there are sort of microtonal bends and all that sort of stuff so to a lot of us we kind of like it's kind of the problem with like european classical music theory is that it doesn't really describe music that isn't european classical music right it's designed to describe a particular kind of music it's not designed to describe um many other modes of music it even probably has a little bit of trouble describing old European music, like um, things like uh, plain song and all that sort of stuff. It can do it, but plain song doesn't work in the same way as music has done in Europe since at least the Renaissance. Mm. Uh, we do things in Europe differently to how they would do them in other countries. So the thing is that when Europeans started meeting people from, you know, Indonesia, China, Japan, and all that sort of stuff, they were looking at that stuff and then trying to translate it into European music and use it as ideas. So mm-hmm. you, particularly people like uh, Debussy was interested in that sort of stuff. And so you get these strange sounding pieces of music, but the, the ideas behind it are, um, in a sense, to try and break away from European norms and use them, use new ideas or what are new to Europeans, um, use these ideas and put them into music in a different way. Mm-hmm. Did you... so? I'm I'm interested, like growing up wise, because I know for me, I grew up with a really wide mix of music. My parents liked mm. listening to classical and opera, but my dad was a little bit of an old punk too, so he would listen to like <laughs> yeah. um, the Clash and mm-hmm. you know anything of that genre. So I grew up listening to that as well. He loved ACDC, so I listened to that a mm. lot. So we had a, a fairly decent CD collection. So I listened mm. to a lot of that stuff over and over again. I listened to a lot of jazz. Um, mm-hmm. Zydeco was big in my family because we're originally from Louisiana. So you got to listen to yeah. Zydeco. Um, but I, I'm just curious, like what was music that you gravitated towards? Cause I know when I started developing my own taste for music, I think part of it was, all of that background knowledge that I grew up with, but then also because mm-hmm. I, when I started developing my taste for my own music, I was definitely in high school. So there was an element of, I'm going to be a rebel. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I remember when I got to high school, I had friends who started having me listen to like Green Day and mm-hmm. um, uh, Panic at the Disco, Linkin mm-hmm. Park, like all that stuff where it was a little darker, a little heavier, very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um but then I also got really into Daft Punk. So, like, oh, fair enough. Daft Punk are great, though. <laughs> Such a good album. Oh my gosh, really the Discovery good. album yeah. is so good. There's so much stuff in Daft Punk that's just amazing. And then again, French music. French have offered a lot to the world. Yeah. In terms of music, it's like for me. I think like when I was a kid, we would hear stuff like my dad was very interested in sort of like folk music, and by folk music, I mean traditional music, and he would be listening to traditional music from. And this is Western traditional music, generally speaking. So we would hear 
um, stuff from America, uh, you'd hear stuff from France, you'd hear stuff uh, sometimes from Belgian, uh, a lot of English, Scottish and Irish stuff. Uh, there was a lot of that sort of thing. You'd also hear some stuff that was from Denmark as well. He was just interested in this sort of stuff. So we had that. And then there was French chansons for people like uh, Georges Brassens and Jacques Brel, um, that sort of stuff. Um, then there was the punk stuff. Some classical music and Renaissance music as well, which I really used to like. And then when I kind of like started really strongly developing my own sort of musical tastes... I initially got interested in what's called Britpop, but then I quickly started moving over to what's described as goth music. <laughs> and the thing was, is I ended up being really interested in German rock. I don't know why, which is very interested in German music. I just remembered you're the one who introduced me to Rammstein. I'm yes. Like 99% per- sure that you were like, oh, you're interested in like harder music here? Listen to Rammstein. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. okay. <laughs> That's a band that is really good. And it's interesting because like they came out at a time sort of... Five years after the total collapse of the Soviet Union, yeah, 91 was the collapse of the Soviet Union. It's five years after the, well, maybe only four years after the total collapse of the Soviet Union. You suddenly have this bursting out of like lots of German stuff and some of it was quite heavy. So Rammstein were the most famous band that had kind of occurred at that time. But then you also have bands like Megahertz who appeared and they're doing similar stuff, but they aren't as famous. And then you have like this branching off different German music in that period of like bands coming who's because Megahertz split into two groups. Then you have other bands that come later on that kind of follow on this German tradition of quite hard, heavy rock mm-hmm. with a lot of very dark themes. They sort of mix in rap. They mix the initial ideas was trying to like get funk sounds into the music as well. So they're obviously listening to Americans, but it doesn't sound American. It sounds very German, which mm. I think is interesting. It's it's a difficult thing because. It, America, generally speaking, kind of has a hegemony over sort of like what people will hear. I mean, it makes sense because Americans obviously they speak English. Um, they do have a strong musical tradition. So like you, you rock, jazz, blues, funk, soul, um, rap, mm-hmm. even sort of like R and B, sort of like what we call now call R and B, not rhythm and blues, but rhythm and beat and all that sort of stuff. The pop scenes are all sort of. They come out of the United States. Yeah. And and it is a really powerful musical tradition. They've got so much of it in, in the America. And even like country music as well. Love, people all over the world love country music. That's the one where I'm always like, <laughs> what? Like, it's just, it's so unique. Like, a lot of what is sung in country music really makes sense within that sphere. So it's very yes. odd when you hear country music outside of that sphere. It's just so strange to me because to me country music is like the flyover states within the united states that have like a tradition mm-hmm. of blue collar workers um it, it just has this very specific image in my mind and it was very weird where like maybe you were in japan and then you would hear country music and we're like what <laughs> where did this come from why are you <laughs> like it wasn't like a mean thing it was just like very odd and not off-putting in a bad way it would just like kind of stop you and make you rethink what was going on yeah i don't really know why country music is so popular i it might just be because people are used to it i think it's the exposure Mm. and that's the thing is so many people are exposed to american music because of the cultural power of the united states i mean it has so much to offer Mm -hmm. uh 
So it does have a huge influence and huge reach because you've also got the industry behind it. There's so much money behind it, comparatively speaking. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, It's actually kind of shocking how many other countries have musicians that will only sing in English, but they aren't mm -hmm. English speakers in their country. Like there's a really big band who they speak English in those countries. Like English is taught as a second language, but it's always fascinating Mm -hmm. that you'll listen to their discography and almost everything is in English. Yeah. It's just surprising. Like for me with Daft Punk, when I first started listening to them, mm-hmm. I genuinely thought they were an American or English band. And then it mm-hmm. wasn't until I like did some background searching. I was like, oh, they're from just outside of Paris. They are definitely yeah. not American or <laughs> from England. And then there's like another band I can think of, Him. Um, they're oh, yeah. Northern European, but almost mm-hmm. all their discography is in English. They have some songs yeah. in their native language, but it's almost all of it is in English. And it's just kind of surprising, but it also shows the power of the English language and how if you want to be commercial, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you have a much higher chance if you sing in English. If you sing in your native tongue, there is a far lesser chance of reaching as many countries. So most artists will sing in English if they want to reach that like high, high level of popularity. Yeah. It's, it might change soon. I mean, I think, you know, certainly since sort of like around sort of like the mid 2000s, I think, you know, the record industry certainly suddenly realized that it couldn't make as much money as it wanted to. So it wouldn't sign as many new bands and stuff like that. They just wanted bands that they knew were going to be really, really popular. Mm-hmm. They knew that they could make the money out of them. So it does mean that maybe some more people are sort of maybe looking at things and kind of going, yeah, well, that just liberates me because I know that I'm not going to get signed to this particular company, so I might as well just do things in my own way. But I think certainly from the 90s, like you certainly see that there are quite a few groups in Germany. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out of France as well. It's sort of like you, you it won't be as famous, though. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That, like, that's what's German... so surprising is like, not surprising. It makes sense. The industry from the United States is so big that it mm. it then makes sense that, okay, if they want to be big, that kind of level of big, speak, singing in English or having all mm. your lyrics in English will make you more accessible because more people around the world speak English. But it's still kind of surprising because then when you learn where they come from, you're like, oh, why didn't you sing in your original language? Yeah. And it's like, well, they wanted to be popular. They had to. Mm. Yeah, and I think it, you know it also might be sort of like to do with the sort of the way the influence of the bands that they hear. So they might be interested in sort of going, well, we you know there are a lot of bands that really admire ACDC. They're not American or British, they're Australians. But um, the thing is, is that that ACDC's reach in terms of how much they did to sort of particularly rock music is enormous. I mean, their mm-hmm. influence is, to rock musicians is huge. I mean, it reaches from you know, from the States all the way probably to Japan. I mean, it just goes right around the globe in terms of how powerful they are and their influence. Mm-hmm. So maybe that has something to do with the idea is like, well, maybe our language won't work as well with that kind of music. So we're going to do it in English. Mm-hmm. I guess that maybe part of the possibility is that maybe the rhythms of certain languages means that you have to kind of change the rhythm of the music in order to make it work. It's a hypothesis I've heard. I don't know how true it is because I mean, then how would German rock bands be able to work so well in German? That's the thing. Uh, but then like things like rap lend themselves really well to any language. Like you, you hear it, it's sort of like, you know, Zebda in France and you hear, um, it's a band, I can't remember exactly where they're from. I think they're Algerians, but they called, they were called Le Microbrise de Silence. 
Don't know. Um, MBS for short. But they're really good and they sing in Arabic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, if you want to look at something where they completely break the mold and they're singing in their own language and it is really popular is, I mean, any band, any K-pop band, they're singing oh, yeah, in Korean. Uh, many of them will sing only songs in Korean. Some will include English. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rapping that's involved in it and that is in Korean. So it's, it's, it's interesting where it's like, the cadence can change because you're mm-hmm. that's also the thing with music you're you're naturally changing the cadence of the words like people will alter mm-hmm. the way they say words or they'll elongate vowels or they'll shorten them so that it fits the song mm-hmm. and people don't blink an eye they're like oh yeah that's yeah. a weird way to say that word but it works within the song mm-hmm. so I, and the meaning isn't lost sorry go ahead what and the meaning isn't lost of the words so there is that I, it's a difficult one, I think. I mean, things with the internet and all that sort of stuff, I wonder whether things will change a bit more as time goes on when people realise that maybe I don't have to... Because I don't have to rely on the labels and big record industries in the same way. Mm-hmm. So maybe... Because it, you can distribute things online now. Yeah. And people can find it. And with Spotify, I have a kind of like a mixed feelings about Spotify. But the thing is, is you can explore quite a lot on spotify i think it's better than exploring on youtube because youtube there's just so much stuff and you don't you know you're not gonna be able to find stuff very yeah. easily <laughs> whereas spotify you can you can at least like you hear about a band or something like that you can listen to a lot of their discography without too much difficulty yeah because it's just all there laid out in front of you and stuff like that so that might help change things as well i mean because you can get a lot of stuff on spotify that's you know from france germany uh japan uh assuming from India as well. Um, I haven't really had a look. I probably should do that. But um, like you even have performers like Natasha Atlas, who I find really interesting. She's half Egyptian, half Belgian, but lives in Britain. And she does sort of, it's Arabic music, basically, generally speaking, influenced by that. But then she'll sing in French. She sings in English on occasion, but it's mostly Arabic as far as I can tell. Uh, Certainly the really good stuff is all in Arabic and there's some very good ones in French. Hmm. actually just cover versions of things like that and she's really interesting and i think that's the thing is that these days the nice thing about music is because it's so easily shared because it's easy to get hold of different sounds and stuff like that you can spread the influences around very easily and the amount of technology that you need in order to make it (coughs) is less Mm -hmm. than say making a film or doing animation or even putting on a theater production the hardest part is just making sure you've got the instruments to get started. But once you have that stuff, you can do it by yourself if you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you can listen to a lot of different influences. You can in- insert them into your own music, which I think is quite a powerful... That's the, what why music has that power, is that you can make it as elaborate or as simple as you want. You can do that with theatre as well, but then you probably would normally need more space because you can't record your theater into a computer unless you're doing a radio program. Yeah, exactly. You you need you inherently need space. You need certain mm-hmm. items to make theater work depending on the show you're doing, depending on the number of actors, whatever it may be. But I think the thing that lent, that music lends to a lot of people who are outsiders is that like you said with training or with just mm-hmm. like hard work at it, you can get good at it. It's not, mm-hmm. there. there's less of an elitism. I know there's definitely still elitism within mm-hmm. music. There absolutely is. But there is an element of, if you work hard at it, people can see your talent. 
And especially now with the internet where things can be shared, you can pass things on to other people. Like it really lends, it's, it's a style of art that lends itself to being easily sent to other places. And especially Mm -hmm. now with the world being more connected than it's ever been, if you're interested in J-pop or you're interested Mm -hmm. in what's going on with the music scene in Germany, you want to know what's happening Mm -hmm. in Indonesia, like you can do that really easily. And I think that's something that's so valuable for TCKs. Um, Mm -hmm. I know for me, particularly when I moved back to the States, there were times where I I didn't have all the music that I grew up with because I left home and I only brought what Mm -hmm. I could to school. And there would be times where I would genuinely miss my family so much, but I had a computer. So all I had to do was go onto YouTube, go onto whatever Spotify Mm -hmm. wasn't big yet, but (laughs) like any of these websites. And I could put in like Serge Gainsbourg, ACDC, what Zydeco Mm -hmm. music, whatever it was. And I could, find a piece of home with me. Like I had memories mm-hmm. attached to that music and it could help me feel less isolated from my family just by listening to that music. And I think that's incredibly yeah. valuable for TCKs is yeah. It, it, it's not a tangible memory. It's not something where you can hold it and you're like, okay, this makes me think of my family, but just by listening mm-hmm. to it, it can feel very comforting. And I think that's so useful for yeah. TCKs when you're away from home, listening to music that you've grown up to, or you've become familiar with, and it has a sense memory. It, it can really help. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because the other thing about music is it is a very portable form of art. Because you, you can just have it on your phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can watch films and stuff like that. But the thing is, you you know, it's difficult sort of like if you're on the bus, you're not really going to be sitting and watching a film because the thing is, you're going to have to stop it. <laughs> right. You, know, you might you might get an episode of sort of like, for example, Friends out of a bus ride. Right. You might, depending on how far you're going. Generally speaking, if you're traveling to work. But the thing is also, you know, if you're driving a car, you can't really be watching TV no. while you're driving. <laughs> but you can have music playing while you're driving. Mm-hmm. And it's it's um, it's an interesting thing that you know pe- people want to hear music wherever they go, which I find interesting. Um, but I personally don't see it as background noise. I th- and maybe that's just me being a bit snooty. And I think really for me, like music is really sort of an, is really sort of an immersive experience, mm-hmm. and I think it needs to be like that. Um, but I mean, as I say, the great thing about it is that you can kind of be doing something, a mindless task whilst listening to it. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I know I found that I used to listen to music more background. And mm. I think having been with someone, my partner is very into music. Like mm-hmm. that's his realm where he finds a lot of importance and value and it has a lot of personal meaning for him. And I think having been exposed to that, it gives me a better appreciation for music and concert going mm-hmm. and all of the yeah. things that go with that. Um, whereas, so now I don't really listen to music in the background as much. Now I'm far mm-hmm. more likely to listen to podcasts, to be very honest. Yes. If I want yes. like background noise that it's interesting for my brain because I am listening to it and I'm actively listening to it. But there's also this like comfort of like, if I miss something, it's not the end of the world. Whereas with music yeah. now, I feel like I really want to pay attention to it more and really mm-hmm. listen 
because I used to just treat it like, oh, that's background noise. But now that I've seen mm-hmm. the value that music can have, I want to pay it more attention to it. Yeah. I think that's the interesting thing about all the arts, really, is it's about learning. It's about learning how to watch it, how to listen to it, how to read it, all that sort of stuff. It's it's more complicated than I think people allow for. And I think that's why I sort of like to say music is the best and worst of art forms because everybody thinks they know about music because they're listening to it all the time or they have it on all the time. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're more hearing it than listening to it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, you know, the rain outside. It's going on in the background, but you're not really sitting and listening to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think... I think we're kind of taught to do things like that a bit. We're not really taught to sit there and kind of go, what's this about? What does it mean? How far does it go? What does that sound do? I mean, because the thing is that music really at its real base level is an abstract art form. Mm-hmm. It's just noises. They don't have any inherent meaning. The language you can argue doesn't have any inherent meaning, but we all ascribe a particular meaning to it. The thing is that music to get the meaning out of it, especially if you don't have lyrics, you really have to be listening to what's going on. What is it trying to portray? What is it doing? And you certainly see that in sort of like, you know, if you're listening to something like you, like Gagaku or something like that from Japan, it has sounds that would seem really weird to most people. It sounds dissonant. It sounds strange. But you have to really sort of listen. Mm-hmm. it's a really sort of strange experience that's what I find with it anyway is that you know it's court music basically but if you ever see it performed or you ever hear it it's there's a lot of stuff going on in there that you just find from a European perspective you would find really difficult to get hold of mm-hmm. and it's the same with like you know, classical music I mean like I've been to sort of like Iranian classical music concerts and the thing is you have to listen to it because you're not going to get anything from the words because like, if you don't speak Farsi, you're screwed. You're not going <laughs> to understand it. Uh, so the thing is you have to sort of like listen to what the instruments are doing, listening to the musicians, listening to the vocalists and all that sort of stuff. And it is, it's an intense experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what music can do is it's strange because it, it is, you're just listening to sounds, but it can have a really profound effect. Absolutely. Is, and I mean, yeah. Even even going to concerts, that can be a mm. huge experience for people. Like it it can change the way you look at the music and you look at the musician. Mm. My first concert I went to with my partner, I had listened to this band before. I really liked them. And then we went in person and I fell in love with the band. It was a mm. moment where I was like, not only do they sound good recorded, they actually sound better live which doesn't mm-hmm. always happen. <laughs> it was no, it, it was an, a moment where I was I I felt it. I like felt the mm. music, I felt it in my body and it was it's very weird to explain to people if they don't really go to concerts. Um and mm. I never really went to it before I met my partner. So it was for me like this brand new experience where I was like, "Oh wow, like I feel like my understanding of this body of work has completely changed just from this one experience mm-hmm. of going to see them in concert. And I think there's a lot of value in that because it wasn't just the physical presence. It was b- 
being hearing them seeing them all of it 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 was huge and the music was the biggest part of that it wasn't just yes. like being there with my partner or friends or because we were far from the band we were literally like yeah. at the toppest part of the building right next to the stacks and i'm like trying to not yeah. have my ears blown out <laughs> by all the loud music but at the end of the night it was just like the music was awesome like that's what i took mm. away from it was just the music yeah and it's funny because like music is used in all sorts of places as well. I mean, like you think about it in sort of like it's used in rituals, um, whether that be sort of like Christian rituals. I mean, in Islam, it's used as well. Like I mean, like you have like the Sufis who believed to an extent that you know, you could you could they meditate using music. I suppose meditation might be the way of putting it. Um, religious festivals there's always some sort of music being played some of it will be sacred some of it will be much more sort of like it raucous depending on what it is it, it's it's in all aspects of culture it's everywhere yep you have and, music at weddings you have music at funerals mm -hmm. it just it completely depends on the culture and mm -hmm. it, it's really funny that a lot of the times music gets traded as kind of like you were saying anyone can do it and it's like technically yes anyone can do mm -hmm. it but it takes real skill to be that good because it yeah. has an impact on people's lives we're constantly listening to it whether we think of mm -hmm. it or not we are always listening to music yes yes because i mean you walk into a shop music's playing yeah <laughs> um and it's a funny thing i mean i think i think that is one of the problems that you get with it is because you're bombarded with stuff that is generally designed to sell. So it's a product. You're selling a product. Um, you're not trying to sell music, if you know what I mean. You're not trying to give the art form its 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 force. So you do have this problem that people are constantly being exposed to the same things over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have a reinforcement in the culture. Certainly, I mean, it happens everywhere, but I mean, you know, within Western society, you do tend to hear the same 10 songs on a loop around in shops everywhere you go. You're yeah. hearing the same songs over and over again, which I think is problematic because I don't think, I don't think it's good for the art form. Cause I mean, you could, could you imagine like every shop you went into, you wouldn't expect to see TV screens all over the place, making you watch Peppa Pig or friends. You know what I mean? Like, nothing wrong with either of them, but you know what I mean? You, like, it's the general cultural things that a lot of people understand the cultural reference and they know what it's for. Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't expect to have that being piped into you all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, maybe those two examples of like TV shows, but you know what I mean? It's like, you wouldn't sort of like do that with that particular form of art, but you will do it for some reason with music. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why, because I, I quite like going into places where there's no music. Yeah, I don't mind it. I do love going into spaces, though, where music, like you walk in and you know that the person who's behind the bar, they picked it. Like there's something yes, that's yes, actually very that's gratifying about that, where you walk yes. in and you're like, oh, you're showing me a piece of yourself. Like this isn't yes. just what corporate told you you have to play. Yeah. This is this is what I listen to. Hope you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you can leave. Like there's something about that yeah. that I really appreciate. Even if it's something I don't like, it's, it's mm -hmm. a little glimpse into that person. Yeah. That doesn't bug me. I, 
it makes the place feel more lively though because obviously like you know probably means that the staff are probably enjoying their job a little bit more than they would in other places right <laughs> yeah if you know what i mean it, yeah totally like, you have a little bit more control over what's going on and they're trying to create an atmosphere and if they're in a good mood they're more likely to be good to the customers mm-hmm. and that Absolutely. kind of thing so the environment will automatically probably be more friendly Totally. Unless it's just a massive sociopath and just like winding people up. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to pick this really annoying song. Like, what? Why? So I just, <laughs> just play Baby Shark on a loop for hours. No. <laughs> no. That sounds be in the evil. Listening now going, oh my God. Not Baby Shark. <laughs> not sure why that became a phenomenon, but anyway. <laughs> it was weird that. It went on for months as well. It, yeah, it was it was not fun. Oh my gosh! I mean, I suppose that's kind of an example of what I'm talking about, though. Like, it, it, it is a kind of corporate market thing, mm-hmm. and that's where the that's why at that stage that is where it's kind of the worst art form because people. It's just for me. I mean, like, fine if you want to listen to it, but I mean, it's just odd. It's not like you would see someone saying this is a fantastic film. Like they would say this film is brilliant because of this, this and this. Music somehow just gets given that kind of thing. I just generally think that you listen to some of the pop stuff that comes out and you just kind of go, yeah, but that's not doing anything. It's got no musical, well, I was not no musical value, but it's, it seems limited in its abilities. It's not doing anything particularly clever. It's not moving. Mm-hmm. Whereas in film, if you do something like that, where you where you just like produce something that was a bit trash and nonsense it would just get panned people would just kind of go yeah well what are we doing it wouldn't appear in film festivals it wouldn't appear in memes it wouldn't do that you know whereas music it will for some reason and i'm not sure why yeah it's it's weird i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i'm just griping a bit but I, that's just genuinely how i feel about it because there's just so much to discover and so much to learn and i think it's one of those art forms where people are held back a bit yeah. You know, I mean, people aren't encouraged. Yeah, they they need to explore a little bit more and I think that's a good mm. a good thing to encourage TCKs if you're in a country that you didn't grow up mm. in, you're not familiar with, it's worth seeing what's on the local scene. Go check out a local concert. Yeah. I mean, I mean right now with what's going on, wear a mask, but yeah. you know, take your precautions. Yeah. But when you can, like see what's happening, what are locals going to see, what are they checking out, like what's popular, mm-hmm. what's not popular, what's the old classic stuff of that country. You'd probably be yeah. surprised by how much you might enjoy it or may not. But that's up to you to figure yeah. out. That's true. And so there's so much to explore, so it's well worth it. I mean, there's just so much. Agreed. <laughs> I can say there's just so much. <laughs> well, thank you everyone so much for joining us today. Um, I've had a lot of fun uh, discussing <laughs> so music with Marcus. Um, and we'll hope to see you next time. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, If you want to find us, we are on Twitter at 
Passport, N-E-C-E-S-S-1. We are also on YouTube, and you can find us anywhere where fine podcasts can be found. Um, Through Anchor, that is our main platform, but you can also find us through Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Please feel free to leave us a comment, a review. We definitely appreciate those. They make us really happy uh, to see them. And feel free to um, send us questions via Twitter or any of the uh, formats that we're on. We have some really exciting episodes lined up in the future. Um, And hopefully we will have a Facebook group that will be up and running soon uh, where you can absolutely chat with other people who listen to the podcast or even ask us questions. Uh, So thank you so much again for listening and we can't wait to see you next time. Bye.